It is so phenomenal to be with all of you today. To be with you on this phenomenal Wednesday night. I'm here with me, my cup of coffee as always, and my mind. My mind, which is the vehicle for the pensiveness by which you intru- I introduced you when you first listened to this podcast. The pensiveness by which you understand this podcast is formulated upon as per the title of, indeed, this podcast podcast. So I hope everyone is doing phenomenal. I hope everyone is having a phenomenal week. It's been a very turbulent time politically, socially, culturally, philosophically, mentally. The coronavirus is still rampaging across the world, ramping well, across America. It's also rampaging across the world as well, but it's not. Um, there is arguments that America is being more affected, but we're, gonna, we're coming back. We need to be positive. We need to have a resolute spirit. We need to have a strong mind. You know, the uh, the ancient texts say that the the true sign of strength, the true sign of a strong man, is how resolute they are in their mind. We have to make sure that our minds are strong people. And part of that is going to be sifting through the noise and the nonsense that you are seeing in our political conversation, our political dialogue, the philosophically corrupt chatter that is degrading you, degrading your spirit, and degrading your ability as an American, as an individual, as a prudent individual, as a prudent person to take the horns of the world and twist them into your favor, and twist them towards freedom, and twist them towards prosperity, and twist them towards an advantageous point for you and your community. So hopefully by listening to this show, you will gain a way, you will learn a way how to wade through that corruption that is set, that threatens not only to steal your soul, but your mind. There are plenty of soulless people on the world that have souls, but their minds are corrupt. So speaking of corruption... We'll be talking about three news stories, uh, which I found interesting, and I'm quite unfortunate. I don't want to talk about these things, but unfortunately, they must be addressed. They must be addressed. So, WNBA players, which is a certain league for basketball, uh, have called out Kelly, Kelly Leffler, Senator Kelly Leffler, who is a candidate for uh, Georgia Senate. She already is in the Senate. She was appointed by, by, by Governor Brian Kemp, but she is a candidate now for the Senate. She's running against uh, running against uh, Mr. Doug Collins, who is also uh, in the jungle primary situation. He's also running against her. It's a very complex situation. I'm not going to get too much into it. But they, these players in the league that she owns a team in, she co-owns the, the Atlanta Dreams, have protested against her by supporting her primary opponent, Raphael Warnock, because Kelly Leffler is against Black Lives Matter in their estimation. We'll talk about that. We'll discuss this very peculiar executive order that just came out of Michigan, where Governor Gretchen Whitmer, the lady who decided, who, who said that if you are against my shutdown, if you're against my lockdown, you automatically are into greed and avarice. You want to just go on your yacht. It's not because you care about individual liberty. It's not because you care about that spark of human freedom that I am actively suppressing. It is because you are a wealthy fat cat and you're selfish. That's what she said to detractors of her draconian shutdown in Michigan, which to this day is leading up and helping in part the cause of the eviction crisis that America is on the precipice of having. So Gretchen Whitmire, one of the most economically disastrous and philosophically corrupt governors in the history of this nation, had the nerve to call racism a public health crisis. (laughs) And declare racism with government resources a public health crisis. Talk about that. And we'll also discuss something else, which is pretty, pretty interesting to me. 
TikTok. Now, I did a TV interview about TikTok. I have talked about TikTok extensively. I am obviously not necessarily a fan of the platform. He's a little bit juvenile, in my opinion. But the President of the United States, Donald Trump, has been making active pushes to ban TikTok, despite the fact that TikTok itself, being based in China, has not shown any actual evidence of being a Chinese foreign asset. So TikTok is essentially damned by proximity. Well, the President said, you know, if you want to have a place in America, you have to A, sign over a lot of security data to us, so have like a U.S. company buy you, and B, sign a huge percentage of that money over to the United States Treasury so that we get a cut of it, and C, we have to, you have to fight for interference. Or at least that's what TikTok is doing. So upon the heels of these requests, TikTok is actively trying to fight, quote-unquote, foreign interference in United States elections by collaborating with certain people to ensure that the elections are not interfered with foreign, in a foreign manner. So, what we're talking about all that stuff, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's nonsense almost. How crazy our political situation has getting, gotten to the point where we're now interrogating a teenage dance app about its role in influencing the United States foreign elections, United States domestic elections, so to speak, in a foreign way. It's ridiculous. And it really, it underestimates the gutso and the political strategicness of the Chinese Politburo because it insinuates that these people, that Xi Jinping and his, 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 his band of clowns, primarily focus upon teenagers or use sophomore methods to get clandestine information. That is what this entire push against TikTok is suggesting. But it's just, I mean, China has had a foreign intelligence operation for eons, for decades, even centuries even. Different dynasties had different foreign intelligence operations. And to think that China now is reduced to using the Politburo to help them, using, using TikTok to help them, is just out of this world. It's it's insulting the history of the country. It's insulting to the intelligence of anyone who's actually studied China. It's absolutely ridiculous. But I suppose in this era of political idi- idiocy, as um, a writer that I follow said, the age of the idiot, and this age of the idiot, I suppose it is a reasonable conclusion that China is now using teenage dances to get clandestine information on American intelligence. Anyway, let's begin with Kelly Leffler. Kelly Leffler, who is someone who I don't think is necessarily all that schooled on political theory, who is someone who I don't think has any business being in 10 feet near a public office due to her lack of, inte- lack of not intelligence, lack of education on political theory, lack of education on argumentation, someone who has repeatedly and utterly besmirched, embarrassed, disgraced, and importuned her t- constituents to mediocrity, and to a lower order standard. Kelly Leffler is someone who is not all that apt to be a politician even. And that's saying something. Because the standard to being a politician is actually quite low in the United States of America. The standard of being a politician, if you can talk good, if you can recite talking points, if you can appeal to people's basic primal sense of emotions, you can be a politician. Well, Leffler can't even do that. She can try... She can run advertising campaigns, which ultimately signal the distant death 
of the interactive interactive body politic in America. Because that's basically all she's been doing. She for a little, for a while she literally just did ad campaigns. Didn't campaign at all. Didn't have many people on the ground. Those she did have on the ground were pretty pretty disorganized and just disjointed. And then she had high school kids on the ground and just people that just were not professional campaign organizers. She did all this stuff, and now she's seeing an uptick in her poll numbers. So she decided, you know what? Let me go on the tour. And she's been going around now. So the emperor has come out of the palace and is now going down to the neck of the citizens. As Machiavelli said, it's the sort of sketcher's image where there is the ruler on top of the mountain and the ruler can look down and he can make estimations on top of the mountain. But when the ruler is down in the field, he actually gains more insight. He has more ideas of what to do because what happens on top of the mountain does not reflect the true reality of what happens down in the field. So Kelly Leffler is realizing that what's happening on top of her mountain, her ornate palace in the city, is not what is happening deep into the field. She's recognizing that this this reality, this dualistic reality of politics between the suburban and the rural, and the rural and the urban, these dialectical processes that are just going around, swirling around, creating inputs and outputs, she's recognizing that she has to challenge those things, she has to channel them, and she has to go forward. So she's doing that, but she's doing it in a very stupid way. And I hate saying the words too because it's such a juvenile, but it's a very ill-informed way, imprudent way, I suppose. I'm I'm expected to be ornate in my language, but there are just some things that need descriptors that are just plain and clear and and, and just guttural, almost. So, she has repeatedly spoke out about Black Lives Matter. And the WNBA players that are protesting against her and supporting her rival, Raphael Warnock, are saying that Kelly Leffler is insufficiently supportive of Black Lives, or Black Lives Matter, so to speak. And to this, what does Leffler say? So this, what does she say? Quite <laughs> get this. Quite simply, she says, this is just another example of how cancel culture in left-wing politics has gone awry. Now, Leffler may be correct. There may be something terribly wrong about what the WNBA players are doing as far as their rhetoric goes. There may be something terribly wrong about how they're proceeding with their points. Those are fair points to make. What is not a fair point to make, however, is when you quite literally straw man and gaslight people who make these points instead of engaging with the merits of their claims. When you engage in logical fallacies which attack the self, a sort of ontological attack, ontological mistruth was what Khalifur is engaging in. When you engage in that stuff, you're not actually making your point. Unless your point was to demean people and dehumanize people. I happen to believe that Khalifur is not trying to do that. I'm going to have a little bit more faith in her than that. But I also happen to believe that she is not embracing that intellectual tradition. She is not embracing that Socratic maxim. I know what I know not. I know that I know nothing. She is not embracing intellectual humility. She is embracing talking point, banal, blase, base rhetoric that is doing nothing to satiate the concerns of her constituents or of people in the league that she owns, or that she co-owns, so to speak. And this is a concern. This is The right has a messaging problem. 
if you're going to actually attack Black Lives Matter, if you're going to actually address their points, if you're going to actually engage on the issue of race, which the right needs to do, get better at, you need to do so in a way that sticks to logic, that sticks to argumentation, and forgets character. George Floyd is a good example of this. Lots of folks on the right have condemned his killing, but they will also attack his character. But George Floyd's character doesn't necessarily matter in the short term. What matters in the short term, even the long term, is that he was unjustly killed by a brutal mass, not mass, well, a brutal murderer, a serial abuser, and a, 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 a law enforcer of unjust law, a, 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 a sort of century from hell that stopped his neck in, that literally kicked the ability of his man to breathe out of his body, out of his system, and that is what happened to George Floyd. That is all that matters about George Floyd. He may have been someone who did undesirable things. Yes, he had a criminal past. But what matters is that he was unduly snuffed out by an unjust person in pursuit of police brutality. In pursuit and in the spirit of injustice. That's what matters. His criminal history is secondary to what happened to him and what his death reflects. His death reflects something bigger than him. It's back to this. People on the right, a lot of people on the right, don't get that Black Lives Matter, along with it being an organization which is absolutely Marxist, it's absolutely crazy and vile what they want to do, it's also a rallying cry. Which, in my opinion, is also equally imprudent, because what it does, it, it categorizes and it diminishes the value of all lives and hyper-focuses the value of black lives. It is true, black lives have value, but it's also true that sociological circumstances do not neuter or bless a certain race or a certain group of individuals with a similar complexion with a special status. They do not neuter or bless a certain race or a certain class of individuals standing in society, or it shouldn't at least. If we're going to operate fundamentally from the principle that was enshrined in the Declaration of Independence, that was, that is enshrined in the natural rights tradition, that is quite enshrined in the American experiment, that is quite enshrined in the, the cosmic justice, the co cosmic constitution of justice, which we understand through individual freedom, then we must understand that every life on this person, on this earth, matters regardless of sociological circumstances. The problem with the rallying cry of Black Lives Matter is that it binds your value as a human being to sociological circumstances. But sociological circumstances, get this, are fleeting. Your value as a human being is not fleeting. It is forever. It is imprinted. It is permanent. It is ingrained into the earth. That's an argument the right can make. Because the right believes in natural rights. The right believes in that philosophy of individualism. The right believes in these things. Largely. There are some aspects of the right that do not believe in this. There are some people in the right that think that the community is more important than the individual. And the individual should be a slave to the community. I'm not talking about those people. Those are people I don't talk about. 
I don't listen, I don't deal with those people. <laughs> I don't talk with them. I'm talking about the majority of the right, which postulates these universal principles and values. That's the argument Kelly Leffler should be making. But she simply wants to use talking points, can political talking points, which will inspire no one and upset everyone. That's why this lady is not held in high esteem. That's why Raphael Warnock is applauding on Twitter the fact that all these black female athletes are, are, are supporting him. That is why the right has a messaging problem. Because we can't, we have to think philosophically, people, pensively. You have to ditch talking points, ditch the small mindedness, and embrace a larger perspective. Because if you don't, we'll continue to lose these cultural skirmishes. And these are skirmishes that government officials shouldn't even be involved in in the first place. Kelly Leffler's duty is to write legislation that protects rights. Any senator's duty is to write legislation that protects rights and to challenge an overbearing, tyrannical force known as the government whenever it seeks to impede upon people's rights. That is her duty. That is the duty of the Congress. And of course, it manifests in different ways. But unfortunately, we have expanded our idea of what the legitimate duty of government is to the extent that we no longer have senators and congressmen and bureaucrats doing what they're meant to do. We, in, we instead have a artificial, inflated, extrajudicial, false sense of purpose that we have assigned to the government and planted on ourselves for this idea of American duty or whatever, and we abide by it. It is asinine. It does not keep into the truth of the moment America was conceived in. It does not keep into the truth of the tradition that America was predicated upon. It's asinine. And so, Kelly Leffler, if you genuinely want to win points, instead of saying that Black Lives Matter is a cancel culture thing that leftists just use, acknowledge that it exists. And address it philosophically. How about that? That'll get you far, I promise you. It will. But if you don't do that, and I suspect you won't do that, then nothing's going to happen. You're going to continue to get this kind of blowback. No one will understand your position. Or if they do understand your position, it will not be a position that you want to look and stand by. And you'll just have to try to do something. You'll have, you will have to do your best to save face and do a lot of political cal calculations that are secondary to what you actually need to do. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Regardless, the truth is one of those values that is very obvious. It's blatant. It's in front of your face. But we spend so many years in society, so much time in society, trying to find the truth, chase the truth. And in the pursuit of finding and chasing, we get bogged down in the self, in the hubris of the self. And we forget to understand and acknowledge that truth is external to ourself. We get bogged down with this and with this, with this mind, with this ego. We let it enslave us. Leftler's letting her ego enslave her. We have to rebuke that. And we have to pursue a different mode of action as it relates to our political situation. So, 
Speaking of our Purdue situation, let's talk about TikTok. TikTok. My lord. An app where teenagers dance and lip sync to the Billboard Top 200, as I so aptly said in my interview with Bold TV. Which you should go watch. It's on my YouTube channel if you guys want to watch it. Just type in Christian Watson, Bold TV on YouTube, and you can find it. My lord. The president has spent the last week saber-rattling the Chinese, or particularly the Chinese Politburo, and TikTok, as if the two are indispensably connected. And he has made an ultimatum that he's going to ban TikTok. Now, of course, right after he said this, the, the app scrambled because if TikTok were to be banned in the United States, it would have to shut down. It wouldn't be able to survive. The United States is a massive market, and India already banned TikTok. And, and TikTok had a massive market over there. And so the Americas are basically one of TikTok's major markets. And so TikTok said, you know what? Okay, let's try to negotiate. So Microsoft came in. They're negotiating. They're still negotiating. The president said, okay, I'll give you until September 15th to find out something, to do a deal. I'll give you until then to do something. Uh, but until then, you're going to have to get bought by a U.S. company. And you're going to have to give a, sh- a, a share of the profits to the Treasury. So the president is trying to hijack TikTok's transference into American hands and bloviate the government's already stripped in the red budget with that. Talk about political opportunism. And this is not so much a criticism of President Trump as it is a criticism of government greed or greed in general. The government has no business having any more money than it already has. If TikTok shares go to the Treasury, and the president's argument was like, well, well, if they, you're, they, are, they are a tenant. TikTok is a tenant. And whenever you have a tenant, they pay rent. Well, when you apply this to one of his apartments or one of his hotels, that makes sense, Mr. Trump. But when you apply it to America, and America as a whole, that makes zero sense. This is not a country owned by one person. America is a common merit of private ownership. The government doesn't own America. No. So to phrase TikTok's acquisition in the fashion of a tenant and a landlord is to insinuate that America is by the whole owned by the government. That is a principle we should reject full sale entirely. We should absolutely reject that. Because this is actually something that the founders and the colonists struggled against. This baleful notion that an institution owns things. Institutions don't own anything. Individuals do. And so if a private individual wants to have TikTok come in their property or use their property or, or collaborate and exchange their value to people voluntarily, that is their dutiful cosmic right. And for the president to say, well, you're a tenant because you come from a foreign country, is what basically he, he is setting a bad standard for all foreign commerce. Foreign commerce in general will be threatened by that. And of course I understand the argument, well, China is not like most countries, and if a business is in China, they are, not, they are being totally owned by the Chinese government, which is not true, by the way. It's not entirely true. Um, a lot of American companies operate in China, and they have to abide by Chinese regulations, and yet you don't see this kind of animus towards them. Yes, the Chinese government can indeed pry into the information of Chinese-based companies whenever they want to, indeed. But we have no evidence that it's happened to ByteDance. None. And if it did happen to ByteDance, 
and it was found out or we had evidence of it, I would be saying, okay, TikTok needs to go. But it there is no evidence. And so without evidence, it would be imprudent of me as an intellectual or any of us as intellectual people to look at that and say, huh, China equals bad. Therefore, TikTok equals bad. Let's ax it. Let's admonish it. That's, that's ignorant. That's, that's ignorant. It's ignorant. So if being bought by Microsoft helps TikTok survive, I'm all for it. Because this scrutiny has nothing to do with TikTok and everything to do with the president's desire to one-up China. Geopolitical warfare. That is what this is all about. This is nothing to do with TikTok. Nothing. TikTok is simply an easy prey because all people who use it are a bunch of teenagers. There was a CNN article on this, on this matter that said that TikTok had... Uh, Suspicious things happen on it. TikTok users, you know, jack up the numbers for a Trump event in Tulsa, making him think that he has one million RSVPs, when all reality he had much less than that, into the, like the ten thousands, nineteen thousands. And they chalked that up to being the fault of TikTok the app, not TikTok the users. It's the same baleful narrative Congress used in their human trafficking bill, which punished legitimately operating places like the Craigslist personal list, which I don't use, and I think is grotesque to use, but they were legitimately operating. They were places that people who were grown up did their stuff at, did their CD moral and morally illicit business at, but they were places that were voluntary nonetheless. And yet, the Congress quite literally said since since any form of human trafficking, if it takes place on your website, regardless of you knowing it or not, you'll be liable for Craigslist and everyone shut it down. That's the same kind of collective guilt, collective responsibility that makes no sense to the actual concepts of guilt and responsibility. It's the inversion of principles, people. It's ridiculous. And I'm going over to Whitmire and over in Michigan. This lady is the queen of this. This lady is the queen of collective guilt. Of branding in general. This lady is quite literally using government resources to imprint upon the public's mind that there is a public health crisis in a matter that basically is only manifest by the actions of certain individuals that may or may not have manifested them recently. She is not predicating her admonition, her initiative to brand racism a public health crisis in any fact or in any substantial matter except the recent upheavals with Black Lives Matter. Well, I'm sorry, but it is not enough, um, Governor Whitmire, to say, since there are people claiming that police brutality has a racist tent on it, they must all be oppressed racially. Since there are people claiming that institutions are inherently racist in the United States, they must be oppressed. Since there are disparities, they must be oppressed. Governor Whitmire is simply rehashing rhetorically can talking points that a certain aspect of a political society has been pushing out for years to prove her, to push her agenda and prove her sentiments. But it's nonsense. 
She's using force and coercion to prove something that the own the the principles that she's trying to prove don't even agree with definitionally. So when the words are against you definitionally, you don't have a case. Words are the medium for communication, for clarity, for understanding, for imprinting upon reality your perspective. But when the very words that Gretchen Whitmire is using rebel against what she is doing, she doesn't have a valid perspective. This is simple logic. It's ridiculous. And all it does is make African Americans like myself think that we're victims. Do you know how many academics are now going to cite this? Oh, racism is now a public health crisis in one state. It is a politically convenient move. One that does not reflect reality. Reality should be what we emulate, not what we desire reality to be. Our idea of what reality should be can be in the forefront, but in the immediate ground that we occupy right now, we must recognize reality for what it is. Period. Embrace that stoic energy and recognize reality for what it is. Don't stay there. Don't remain complacent. But recognize reality for what it is. Recognize America for what it is. A shining jewel in this world, which has done more for individualism, which has manifested more individualistic circumstances, which has manifested more rights-protecting circumstances, which has manifested more, you get my point, more prosperity and opportunity for a lot of differing people, immigrants and natives alike, than any other country in the world, not because it's America, but because America itself is built on something greater than itself. It's built on freedom. That's the story, Gretchen Whitmer. Not that racism is a public health crisis because there are disparities. My lord, give me a break. I'm getting sick of this. I tire of this drivel. I tire of this philosophically inane shit. I'm sorry for cursing, but I tire of it. I tire of it. Everywhere I go, I'm asked about race. Race this, race that. Listen, I have personally experienced racism in certain parts of my life. I have. From individuals. My race has never been a barrier to my success, my health, or my well-being overall. And for most black folks, race is not the issue. It can't. My socioeconomic status in the past has more of a barrier to my success. Then, of course, you have the people who think dialectically, well, your status is due to race. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because they have this collective conception of what wealth is. It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Anyway, guys, this world is going crazy. And we need to be pensive in the, amidst the firestorm that threatens to consume our minds and our souls. So with that... I ask you guys to please subscribe wherever you're listening on YouTube, Pensive on, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Subscribe, like, do whatever you will do. Follow us, turn the bell on on YouTube. Do whatever you can do to help us grow, to help us get our message out there, to help us succeed, to help us teach people their fundamental human genius and potentials. Help us reach people with that message. Help us change the status quo. Help us recognize that liberty is the primary value for all human growth. Help people get that message out there by sharing this episode, by subscribing, doing whatever you can do. So guys, until then, I must bid you farewell. But I always ask you, please, as always, 
Two, stay pensive.